Hello and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Be Uncluttered. I'm Tara Tuttle and with me is Rebecca Mazzino and together we are going to help you on your journey to a life free of clutter. Hi, welcome to this week's episode. Before we get started this week, uh, I just wanted to let you know about something. Um, So for those of you that loved our episodes on Stoicism with Donald Robertson, uh, we wanted to just take a moment to tell you about an upcoming event that might interest you. So there's this virtual conference called Practical Paths to Flourishing that is being run on June the 5th this year. And it's the first ever conference being held on women and stoicism. And as a new fan of stoicism, I'll be attending. Um, I'm really keen to learn more about the everyday applications of stoicism in my life. And I'd also really love to hear it from women. Um, it's really affordable and like by affordable, I mean, you get to choose how much you pay to attend, which is pretty cool for those that are cash strapped. Uh, you will hear from academics and creatives and parents and entrepreneurs and authors, and they'll all be talking about an aspect of stoic philosophy that's been like personally and professionally transformational for them. Um, and you will have the opportunity to ask questions and, and meet with other conference attendees as well during the day. Now, um, that will not be me because for us Aussies, it actually starts at midnight and <laughs> I won't be dialing in live because I do not do nights very well Um, but there are going to be recordings available so I'll still definitely be registering and and listening to all of those all of the talks Um, we'll put a link in the show notes uh, so that you can check this out yourself and have a look at the lineup Uh, there's also access um, available to a journaling workshop the next day um, which could be really cool as well. But again, if it's at 3am, I'm not going to be attending. Um, I won't even try. Uh, so yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes and and you can check it out. Um, okay, so what are we talking about today, Tara? Okay, so I had a question from someone recently about why they were unable to sell their secondhand stuff online. They decided it was time to declutter, but they couldn't actually get rid of the stuff. And so I thought, okay, we need to chat about this. I wrote a blog post recently and it starts a little like this. You've watched the TV shows, read the books and seen the transformations when people finally let go of their clutter. You're ready for that same unburdening. You're ready to get that feeling of liberty. You've done the hard work, emptied the attic, scoured the garage and made all those agonizing decisions about what items to part with. But just when the uncluttered life is within your grasp, you can't quite make it happen. Why? Because your stuff just sits there on the sales pages with barely a view. You're offering up your precious wares to the world, but no one wants to buy them. What's the catch? Why is your stuff not selling when plenty of others' stuff on the sales pages is getting snapped up? What is this invisible barrier sitting between you and the clutter-free life you dream of? I'm not going to read you my entire blog post, but that's how it starts. And the answer is the endowment effect. And that's what we're going to be chatting about today. Yeah, this is so interesting because I'm always interested in human behavior, unconscious human behavior and like biases that we have that we don't know we have and things we do that we don't know we do and that there's a reason for them. So this I find really interesting because we all will be affected by it at some point but we actually don't really realize that we are so I find this really interesting and the thing that I think is funny is I know that this exists but I 
still suffer from it. Like <laughs> yeah. awareness is good, but it's, it's only part not, of it. Isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's not like the golden ticket to uh, changing your behaviour. But at least having an understanding that it exists um, gets you some way there. So. Let's get into it. The American Psychological Association defines the endowment effect as the tendency that people have to place a higher value on items once they own them or once they've been associated with them in some other way. So um, an example of this is someone selling goods will often price them higher than what he or she would be willing to pay to acquire those same goods. Is that the endowment effect or the the love of money? <laughs> Probably. I just a bit thought of, both. of my husband then. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking of Mick. Like, mm, he does tend to put things high, but I don't think it's because he values the thing. I think it's because he values money. <laughs> well, and it's funny because, anyway. like, money is obviously important to us. But if we knew that that wasn't even realistic, it, mm. you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't bother because it becomes a time waster, doesn't it? You know, when you yeah. overvalue yeah. things because they sit there um, or you get all the people contacting you, offering you half of what you've paid for it or whatever it is. Um, mm. So, yeah, love of money probably comes into it too. Yeah, but still, we're actually not talking about love of money. We're talking about the endowment effect and the fact that we do all do this sometimes at least. So... What the endowment effect means for you and your potential sales is that you're carrying this bias that you probably until now weren't even aware of that is causing you to overprice the stuff that you're trying to sell. So if you can't get the price you want, um, quite often people will even choose to keep the item rather than lowering the price further or donating it. So, which I think is hilarious because the hard part I always think is making the decision to let go of something mm. and you go through all that and um, yeah. make the choice to let it go, to sell it, you advertise it, you invest that extra bit of time and then if you don't get the price you want, I know plenty of people and I'm pretty sure I've done this myself as well and thought, right, if someone won't pay for that or pay what I want them to pay for that, then I'll just keep it. I'll just keep it. Because <laughs> well, then you get nothing. Mm. And you still got your space getting taken up. Mm. So there was a study, um, I don't even know when it was done, but there will be a link to it in the show notes if you want to read more details, um, which is quite often the case study that's used when people talk about this, where a college professor uh, was teaching two classes, similar classes, same subject, I think, but two different times. One uh, was a class that was the beginning of the week and the other one was class at the end of the week. And... For the class at the beginning of the week, the professor handed out a brand new coffee mug with the uni logo emblazoned on it to this first class as a gift for free, for nothing. And the second class at the end of the week got nothing. They weren't aware of the first class getting a mug. They didn't know anything about it. So then one week later, the professor showed the same mug or a symbol, the exact same mug that was given as a gift to both classes and asked them to value the mug and the students from the first class who received the mug as a gift on average put a greater price tag on the mug than those that did not um and then when he asked 
what the lowest selling price of the mug could be or should be. Um, the students who owned a, a mug the same would consistently say the minimum price for the mug should be higher than those students who didn't own one. So it's proving that mm. point of as soon as you come into contact with something um, and own it, you have a tendency to overvalue. Yeah. So that's kind of the the proof that we do this thing without knowing that we do it mm-hmm. because, like you said, the students weren't aware of of what the um, experiment was, uh, and yet they did behave in this in this particular way. So, um, so when have you, when have you done this, Tara? Like, can you think of anything specific? Uh, yes, I know <laughs> an example that's really recent. So, um, I'm a bit of a royals lover, British royal family, and I remember. I think my parents. When Charles and Diana got married in, what was that? Was that 1980? 82, 81. Mm, Yeah, 80. Something like that. They um, brought out a royal, or some some company, some winery, brought out a royal commemorative bottle of port for the child Mm -hmm. to commemorate Charles and Diana's wedding. And my parents bought two of them. And I had said from a very early age that I would really like to have one of these bottles of port, not to drink, but because it had Charles and Diana on their wedding day, blah, blah, blah. And I have kept that and it has moved around the world with me. And I thought one day I'm going to sell this and it is going to be worth an absolute fortune. And then only a few months ago before we moved to the U.S., And I was packing stuff up and technically not supposed to put liquids into storage. I was like, um, what am I going to do with this? Do I give it to someone to hold on to or do I just sneak it into storage and hope it doesn't leak all over something else that's sitting in there (laughs) in the container for a couple of years? Anyway, I thought, look, I'll just check to see what they're worth because I'm thinking and my husband was like, what if it's what if it's like five grand will you sell it and I was like yeah yeah I'd probably sell it and he's like what if it was worth five hundred dollars would you sell it and I'm like oh yeah maybe it's not as much as I was hoping for or whatever but I was definitely willing to part with it for the right amount and then I looked up on eBay and someone was selling one for like forty nine (laughs) dollars and it had been sitting there for 15 weeks or something and not had one bid on the auction (laughs) and I was like I could never sell this no it's going into storage and Ryan's like are you kidding me but I was just I'm so blinded by the fact now I feel like it's not even just the money it's the fact that I've held on to it for the last (laughs) 40 years that I think oh well I'm not just going to sell it now for like 30 dollars or something so um yeah, but this is how it shows up for me. What about you, Beck? Have mm. you got any examples? Oh, I can't think of any personal ones. I did, I did do it with some clothes. Actually, yeah, I did do it with some clothes. So I think I had some jeans that I, um, I was talked into buying the smaller size by the the person that was selling them, and because she said that they were stretch. And either they didn't stretch or they did stretch and I just got too big for them. But either way, they didn't fit me for very long at all and they were com- uncomfortable and they gave me indigestion. And so I thought, well, they really ex- – they were $200 jeans and, and I thought, oh, well, I'll sell them. 
uh, and then just like replace them or get another pair. But they wouldn't sell and I don't remember what price I put on them or anything like that, but they didn't sell and so I still didn't want to give them, just give them away. I was stuck on yeah mm-hmm. this whole idea of getting some money for them and most of the time I'm pretty relaxed about, oh, well, just give it away. Like I give away 90% of the things that I get rid of. I hardly ever sell anything. But these particular jeans I was stuck on and they wouldn't sell and I ended up giving them to one of my friends uh, because I was like, I, you know, I just sent her a message. I said, do you want these jeans? And she's like, hell yeah. So she got them and I felt better. Like I didn't sell them, but at least they went to her, but it was, yeah, I was a bit, I got stuck on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. I remember a client I've had um, and she, oh, she agonized for ages. I remember it was, we were going through like a sewing cupboard or something or other. And there was all this really heavy, curtain fabric and it was beautiful but it was unused and it was you know I say it was beautiful in the right house in the right era it probably would have been beautiful <laughs> it was very elaborate it was and good quality detail yeah. good quality but nothing I would hang in my house anyway we spent we must have spent an hour back and forth about does she keep it will she ever use it shall we let it go she agonized and then eventually she said okay I'm ready it's time to let it go we put it on whatever it was eBay or you know Facebook marketplace and it wouldn't sell because it was no longer in fashion and she and then so we lowered the price and we lowered the price and then eventually she just went no no if I'm not I know I know what it's worth and if people won't pay that, if they can't see the value, then I will keep it. And I was like, oh, there goes all those hours of work (laughs) and making the tough decision and then, you know, flip-flopping on it just because you can't can't make Mm. back what you perceive that thing is worth. Yeah. I had a client too that, that comes to mind, one of our downsizing clients, and he had these four bar stools. And they were really good quality. They were made in the 80s. And you could see that they were good quality, but they were really unfashionable. And the auction house, we sent a picture to the auction house because he was kind of unsure about it. And and Mick said, look, they'll, they'll absolutely sell. Like, There's no doubt they'll sell. And he said, yeah, but I want to make sure I get my money's worth because they cost me a fortune. And so Mick sent a photo to the auction house to get like a ballpark on it. And the auction house said something like a hundred bucks for the set. And this poor man just, he nearly died. He's like, no, no, absolutely not. And he said, I paid like 3000 it was at least $3,000 for these bar stools when he'd first bought them in the eighties. And he was just, he said, no, nah, I can't sell them. I can't sell them. And so he put them into storage when he moved. And I don't know. Maybe they're still there. I'm not sure, but um, he just flatly refused to to sell them. And I could understand that, like I, when he said how much they'd cost, and I could kind of see that in the quality. It's just that there's no there was no demand for that style. And maybe in 10, 15 years' time, after they've cost him a fortune in storage, he might get more money for them. Uh, they might come back into fashion. Are the 80s ever going to come back into fashion? I don't know. I don't know about uh, that. But 
Yeah. Um, God, there might be a copper art. Copper art might come back, Tara. Imagine that. <laughs> no. Um, no. <laughs> Do you remember that? Did you have one of those brass coat racks from copper art yes. that every other teenager had? <laughs> I thought you might. <laughs> I had one too. Uh, but and then, like, it was all brass, but then it had, like, the plastic caps on the end that all, like, chipped and came off and broke. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, the good old right. days. Well, so yeah. this is the thing. Like, we get, uh, we do all this hard work, get ourselves to the point of letting go, and then this thing stops us. We get so stubborn almost about what we mm. should get for it that it clouds our judgment. And you think, no, no, I was willing to let this go. I should be willing to let it go at any cost, basically, because. Like we've talked about so many times before, it's not just um, the money that you get for it. It's the space. It's the freedom. It's the Mm. um, unburdening, you know, mentally that you've got less stuff to have to maintain and house and all of that kind of stuff. But we get so fixated on that dollar value that we won't budge. So let's talk about how we can prevent this bias now that we know that it exists and causes us to overinflate our prices um let's talk about some ways that we can prevent that from impeding us now you had this in your in your blog post and i absolutely love it and it is this question to ask yourself if i didn't own this what would i be willing to do or pay to acquire it in this exact condition and that's something that we don't ask ourselves do we no. we just we just have this expectation that someone else will pay a certain amount without thinking about what we would actually pay for mm. it yeah and it's really important and the problem is it's it's hard to be able to even answer that quite often because we've got this bias so mm. we think, I, I'd totally pay $50 for that. I'd totally pay $5,000 for a 1980s bottle of royal port with Charles and Diana on it. No, I wouldn't. I want that much. <laughs> I would never go out looking for a bottle of commemorative port and pay $5,000 for it. But so I think one of the things, if you ask yourself that, can, that question and you can't get an answer, or can't get an answer that you genuinely think is honest, maybe it's worth asking someone else that would be Mm. in the target market what they might pay. And you've got to try really hard to not be offended by the price they say. So I might take my bottle of port to an auction house or to a wine merchant or to someone that collects royal memorabilia get a few quotes from people. What would you pay for this? And when everyone tells me, $30, $40, $50, then maybe I go, oh, okay, right. So that was my bias thinking that, you know, being 40 years old, that it would be worth more than that. So, Hmm. Mm -hmm. And that all the effort that you put into keeping it, (laughs) you want it to be worth more because you want all this effort that you went to to actually pay off <laughs> yeah. in the end, don't you? And, and the thing is, I for that, I didn't even go to the effort of acquiring it. Like, I don't know I don't know where my <laughs> parents got it. But so you can imagine things like your client with the bar stools, that, yeah. those bar stools wouldn't have probably been a snap decision. He would have either researched, maybe they were made specially for him, maybe they were shipped or imported from somewhere. So you think... They were. They were imported from Italy, yeah. Yeah, so you think there's so much that goes into that, um, 
the time and the investment, not just mm. money. Um, and we feel like we want to recoup it. So I think one thing that's key to do is research what else is available in the market in a similar condition and check out the price, uh, the ones that have sold, not just the ones that are unsold. Mm. Because even um, we sold both our cars before we moved from Australia and we looked on some of the car sales sites at cars similar to ours and we're like, oh, yeah, that's reasonable, that's reasonable. But then we're like, well, hang, but they're still there a week later and a fortnight later mm. and a month later. So actually, is that reasonable? And then when we started talking to people, they're like, no, no, that's too high. That's why it's still there. Like just mm. because it's someone else is advertising it for that price on that site doesn't mean that's what it's valued at. That's just someone else with their endowment effect trying to get that money. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Everyone's on there with their endowment effect. This happens in um, a group, I mean, of um, vintage mid-century items and collectibles and people often talk about the value of things and the mantra is only look at the sold prices because people get way too excited about the value of things and they put them on. They'll have like a vintage Pyrex bowl uh, that's been through the dishwasher 3,000 times and because it's vintage Pyrex, they're like, oh, it has to be worth $70. And, you know, no, if you look at the sold items, the you know, it's more like $5. <laughs> but, you know, um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a thing. You have to just look at the sold ones, never, just, never look at the unsold ones. Well, I quite like watching Antiques Roadshow and you see people's eyes like boggle when – you know, they're talking to the expert and they say, oh, this vase that, you know, you picked up at a garage sale or this vase that your auntie left you in her will that is hideously ugly is worth 10,000 pounds. And they're like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. And it's like, okay, cool. Try and find someone to buy that ugly vase off you. Like it might be, (laughs) they might value that based on the age and the rarity, but now you've got to find a purchaser. So, and um, mm. I went with a friend to, uh, this is my fool in a nana coming out. This is confession time. I went to an antiques roadshow, um, which was so great. It was so, all these old biddies walking around with their flasks of tea. I've never felt more at home <laughs> in my life. And <laughs> watching people value items and people get really excited. But I remember one of the guys saying, we valued it that at that price because it's rare, but you'll be hard pressed to find someone that will purchase them because there are others mm-hmm. around, and the people that have that would really want this have probably snapped one up. Probably already got it. Um, yeah. But in terms of being in circulation, like, and maybe if you advertise it for five years, there'll be someone that <laughs> pops back up. But just it's not a done deal just because something's valued at something doesn't mean mm. there'll be a buyer in the market ready to pay that full amount. So, yeah. Mm. Um, the other thing that's important to remember is to research what it costs to get that same item new because a lot of people, myself included here, will only consider secondhand items if they're dramatically cheaper than acquiring a new one. Mm. So if you think about even like cars, talking about cars, When you buy a brand new car, as soon as you drive it off the lot, its value goes down incredibly because it's not brand new anymore. Um, And it's the same with clothing. If you can, I mean, we've 
talk so much recently about fast fashion and all that kind of stuff. But if you get, um, if you pay $200 for your jeans, someone's really got to want those jeans to buy them off you for even $150 because they're used Mm. because they can probably just spend a little bit more, get them new, or they can go and buy different pairs of jeans for $150. So, or $50. Yeah. Um, So have a look at what it might cost to get that same item new and see whether you think it would be worth someone's while. Um, And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of niche markets where people are looking for things secondhand. But when it's your general stuff that you're letting go of out of your house, you know, sporting goods and Mm, artwork, yeah, um, clothes, all that kind of stuff. Uh, And that's quite often when I was selling Um, either my clothes or kids clothes or things like that I would bundle them I do you know as much as I could fit in a post bag so it might be like um, two kilos of of kids clothing and I'd pick a season and pick a size and bundle it all together and do a price for the lot because while you could sell each piece for five dollars people could go out and buy something new for not that much more, but to sell a whole bundle, it's really convenient. It's easy. Mm. Um, and it, it saves some of the, the hassle of finding all the things. So yeah, you've got to make it worth their while. Mm. Another thing to think about is that production prices have come down greatly over time. So something that you might have bought, and that costs you quite a lot when it was first made and when you bought it might be being manufactured now for a much lower cost. So like the bar stools um, mm. or even, you know, you think of like Indonesian um, homewares and like 20 years ago to have like a Balinese style carved bed in your house would be worth a fortune because they were hard to get and hard to ship. But now there are people replicating all that kind of stuff here and fobbing it off as Balinese Um, or there's so much more demand for it. So there's so much more being brought in. So the the costs are so much further down. So just Mm. because it was worth a lot when you bought it doesn't mean that it's going to hold that value in today's market. Mm, Because the replacement value is lower now. Mm. Mm. So you really have to take that initial price out of it and stop thinking about what you Mm. paid and just look at current market value. Yeah. And this is something I love as well, but why don't you want it? Like if you don't want it, why are you expecting somebody else to want it? (laughs) So true. (laughs) And why are you expecting someone else to pay lots of money for it? Like you don't want it. Um, So there's, there's something in that. Yeah, and if it's... Uh, something timeless or classic that you're selling, it shouldn't be a problem to find a purchaser at the right price. But if it's something that you're letting go of because it's out of date or out of fashion or it's from copyright, (laughs) then you've got to say, uh, why would someone else pay this? I have an example of this. When we came back from the UK, we'd, put in storage this ginormous tv cabinet do you remember like late 90s pre-flat screens yeah yeah pre-flat screen and it was this monstrosity it was three pieces that came apart it was like a bookshelf and a tv cabinet and it had like lead light 
windowy things and uh, that. Yeah. And it was huge and it would dwarf any room. Like we had this huge room <laughs> and it was like a wall of wood. Anyway, <laughs> we had flat screen TVs, had no use for it anymore and it had kind of been sitting in the garage and I was like, oh, advertise it, someone will want it. And I think it was my brother just said to me, well, who wants, who still has a TV like that? Like you don't need a TV cabinet that is a meter deep because no one has a massive TV. And because the TV hole was fixed within the timber, mm. it's like he said, that's a pretty smallish TV size too. So if you've got, you're limiting your market to people with a small TV. And he was just like, if you hate it because it's out of fashion, I'm pretty sure everyone else will too. So <laughs> it sat there and I reduced the price and I reduced the price. And eventually I, it was like um, Game of Thrones. Winter was coming to Canberra and I had to get my car in the garage before it started getting frosty in the morning. So I was like, right, enough's enough. I put it on Gumtree for free. Within 30 minutes, it was sold. Within an hour, someone had picked it up. I was like, why mm. didn't I do that six months ago? <laughs> like, and that's the thing quite often. Like when you hit the sweet spot, people will want it. You just got to be prepared mm. to go there. Yeah. You've just, it, and it's, that sweet spot is lower than you, probably lower than you'd hoped. Yeah. yeah. My mum's got one of those that my dad made. Mm-hmm. And because dad made it, it's, even harder mm-hmm. to, to let go of. And my sister just bought a house recently and my mum's like, I hope she takes the cabinet. <laughs> my mum's just trying to offload it to my sister. I hope she takes the cabinet. And I was like, yeah, she might. She might. My sister tends to love all of my dad's stuff, so mum might be lucky there. But it's, it was very funny when she's, she's immediately had thought of the opportunity to offload this cabinet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, yeah, you've got to kind of, make peace with the fact that you're most likely not going to recoup what you paid for it or possibly anywhere near that. So mm. we've talked about um, sunk costs before. So the money you paid for it is lost. It was lost at the point of purchase. So anything extra you get now is a bonus. And like we said, if you've got the time and the patience, you could test the waters. Do your research first, put it out at a price that you think you would be happy with and then if Which pe- is probably too high due to the endowment effect. Yeah. But anyway. And then <laughs> when people don't buy it, which they won't, gradually lower the price. And eventually you'll find that 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 price that is, is suitable and that people are willing to pay. And like me, sometimes that price might have to be free. Zero. <laughs> yeah. But that is an investment of time. So if you are not willing to list and monitor and relist and re-monitor, then do more research, ask more people, get the price right the first time. Yep. Also, if you make the decision to keep something instead of selling it, because this is something that like my client did and, and your client did, and I've had, well, probably dozens of clients that have done this that have chosen to keep something instead of um, discarding it, there is a cost to keeping it. And, you know, that cost is a storage container or it is, uh, the ability to walk into your room or to use your, like mum, to use her craft room or to use her office the way she wants to because it's full of giant TV cabinet. And so the cost of keeping these things, it needs to be considered as well. So you've got to ask yourself, is it is it worth the cost or is the cost of keeping it higher than the opportunity cost of not getting what you wanted for selling it? Does that make sense? Mm, yep, definitely. So... 
If you've listened to this and thought, well, that doesn't really affect me, sales isn't my issue, but if you are still on your little decluttering journey, there is one other way the endowment effect might show up for you. And that is if you choose to hold on to something that you already own just because you own it. Mm-hmm. If you're choosing to keep something because it's already there, but if you didn't have it, you wouldn't go out of your way to reacquire it. So we're not going to drill down that little uh, hole, but it's a thought to leave you with. Yeah. So if you want to share your experiences, if this endowment effect has you nodding and laughing at yourself, uh, just the way we did. Or if you want uh, to come then- and buy my bottle of uh, commemorative <laughs> port for $5,000. <laughs> or mum's tv cabinet um yes please join us in our facebook community group and we can chat about it there and we can talk about all the ways that our brain is tricking us into hanging on to things that we have already decided we don't want anymore and we will see you here again next week thanks for joining us we'd love it if you'd leave a review or tell all your friends about us so they too can be uncluttered If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us at beuncluttered.com.au or on social media or on our own websites at clearspace.net.au and basklifecoaching.com.